does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Eddie, is it intentional that you play this song? Indeed it is. Okay. Because Stephen Holder came to Indianapolis via Tampa, but he is native to Miami. He joins us now on the program. Stephen, here is the biggest burning question. I'm sure you're going to be shocked that this would be my first one. Well, no, 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 no. I don't know what you were going to say, but the biggest burning question before you go on is actually, will I make it? to Miami for Labor Day weekend as planned because is, stuff, is, is, is work going to keep me from making that trip? Would you that can, is the biggest burning Steve, question. Steven, 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 Steven. Let me ask you something, Steven. Do, do, you, do you have a cell phone? I don't even know if they use cells anymore, but you have a mobile phone, right? An iPhone, right? I, I've heard about this emerging technology. I have. Okay. Do, do you have on it like the capability of like Zoom slash Teams slash FaceTime slash et cetera? <laughs> I, I think I, I got to look into that. Not sure. Because I, sure. I, I got news for you. You can work from anywhere these days, man. Right? Yeah. Well, I guess the question is, you know, where's the news going to be? But yeah, point taken. So no. anyhow. Sorry, I I jumped in prematurely. Well, no, they, your your question goes along with mine, and that is uh, twenty seven hours from right now. So it will yeah. be four o two p.m. Jonathan Taylor is or is not a member of the Indianapolis Colts. Well, first of all, an easier question would be like, what is the meaning of life? Okay, <laughs> let's start with that. <laughs> so, I, I think that I actually feel it's truly 50-50. I know it's a cop-out answer, but I'm telling you, this is really going to boil down to whether the Colts have the will to do it or not. Okay? If they want to trade them, they can trade them. Do they have the will to do it? And and so, look, I I don't know the answer, and I know it's a cop-out answer, but I want people to understand, like, I don't think this is going to boil down to a matter of, oh, well, the compensation wasn't what they wanted. Look, they they have a tough situation, and there are not a lot of solutions to it. And so this is one solution. And it's just going to boil down to do they have the guts to do it and just go through with it? And that is, I think, a question for Chris Ballard. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know which way this is going to go. I know it's a terrible answer for radio, but that's literally the situation. Is there any chance, Stephen, that this entire exercise of giving Jonathan Taylor permission for his agent to find a trade partner, etc., was less about the Colts wanting to see what they can get for him and more about them simply making the statement of establishing their own market value for him when trying to then, if they choose to do so, extend him or rather explain why they have not yet. Right. Uh, Yeah, I get the question. Um, And I've heard it a lot, and I understand it. I think the answer to that is no, that it is not about that. And I'll tell you why. Here's, Here's the thing. If you're the Colts, and your decision is we are not going to do a contract extension with Jonathan Taylor at this particular time, as has been made very clear, including to Jonathan Taylor personally. Well, then what is there to talk about, right? I mean, what, what's the point? If you, if, you think, if you think that you are not – if you think that you have uh, the, you know, the, the leverage, the high ground, whatever, like proving a point doesn't really get you anything. Like, I don't think there's anything to be gained from that. I, I think – Fans think there's something to be gained from it. I don't think it really accomplishes anything. And in fact, here's here's another point to remember: when you, when this whole thing started, and Jonathan Taylor when he showed up and he requested a trade on the day he reported to training camp, when that news came out, what is the first thing that happened? Jim Mersey very boldly and on the record said to everyone, myself included. We will not trade Jonathan Taylor, paraphrasing, over my dead body. I mean, basically is what he said, right? And so here we are, what, three weeks later, and guess what? Oh, you know what? Maybe we'll trade him. Is (laughs) that because Jonathan Taylor made it very clear to him at that time? You can say that all you want. I don't want to be here. That meeting on the bus was Jim Ursay's attempt to kind of calm things down and to kind of reason with Jonathan Taylor. And so I think we all know how that meeting went. 
So that would be my answer to that question. It, it did not go well. In fact, my what I what I observe and what I understand is that I, I think Jim Mercy expected it to go very differently, <laughs> and it, it did not have the intended effect. So I think that has it has brought them to a situation, the team where you know they have had to consider all options, and that is why we're here today with the potential for Jonathan being traded. Steven, I keep going back to what you just referenced, which is the declarative, we're not trading him comments that were made by Jim Ursay to this shift now that, okay, we'll, we'll let him try to seek out a trade partner. Good luck with that. And if you do find one, come back to us. With all that in mind, should I then treat the idea that tomorrow is a set in stone deadline as nothing more but superfluous posturing? Um. That's fair. A fair question. I, I think there, the only reason that one's a little more concrete is because of Jonathan Taylor's status and, and the fact that he is on the, the physically unable to perform list. I think the the, the deadline there, it, it, it basically equates to, you know, are you going to have him for the first four games if he's on your roster? Because if you, if you remain on the physically unable to perform list going into the season – and I know some of the listeners have already heard this, but just for clarity, if you're on that list in the regular season and that list or that, that regular season roster rules, the regular season roster rules begin tomorrow at 4 o'clock. If you are on that list at that point, you have to sit a minimum of four games. And then there are all kinds of other little um, idiosyncrasies that come along with those decisions uh, in terms of roster machinations. So that is very important both for – for Jonathan Taylor and for the Colts. I, mean, I don't know where Taylor stands on playing right now. I have no idea, but but that's very important for all involved. So that deadline is a little more important. And I, I think the interesting thing about all this, here's the other thing for the Colts. If they elect not to trade him, then they have a decision to make tomorrow. If they activate Jonathan Taylor, okay, well, what happens then? All right? Now go back to, I told people on, uh, I guess, maybe a couple of days before uh, the training camp report date. I I said on television, and I, I tried to be you know a little bit vague just because it was unclear what was going to happen. But I said on television, look when when Jonathan Taylor reports on Tuesday, you know be aware that things could get interesting when he reports. And I said if he reports, it's going to be interesting. And what happened? He reported, and obviously there was pushback. They put him on PUP. None of that was expected, but there were indications that that was going to happen. So I'm telling you now, I think it's going to be a very interesting situation if he remains on this roster. What happens then? The answer is I don't know, and I don't know how Taylor will respond. That's going to be interesting. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Half tongue-in-cheek with this, Stephen Holder covers the Colts for ESPN.com, taking some time with us on Query and Company. Which of the following causes the most chaos nationally slash the most chaos that regrettably makes you unable to be in Miami for Labor Day? I apologize for speaking that into existence. Um, (laughs) Him staying on the pup after tomorrow's deadline, him being activated but no trade partner, or him being traded? Hmm. Um... And which of those is most likely, I guess, at this juncture? Yeah, yeah. No, I think actually, if he's if he's activated, I think that's the that's probably the the, the newsiest thing from my perspective. Because if he's on the PUP, I mean, I cover the Colts, right? So if he's if he's traded, then then it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> so, to be completely honest, I love Jonathan Taylor, but hey, it wouldn't be my problem anymore. Um, if he if he stays and he's on the pup list, well, then basically we're status quo for the most part, right? We've got an, an angry player who's not playing. <laughs> and then if he's activated, then it becomes, oh, well, is Jonathan Taylor going to play? Is he going to practice? Uh, what's he going to say? Because now if you're on the active roster, I mean, you know, you have to submit for interviews. And I don't know. It could get very interesting from that perspective. Steven, who is going to have a sleepless night? Give me three guys, I guess. Uh, with tomorrow being, you know, final cuts, give me the three guys that tonight probably get the least sleep, least amount of sleep. And by that, yeah. I mean players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, I think everyone outside of the. <laughs> this is another cop out answer, but it's it's an honest answer. I think everyone outside of the top mm, 
five on the offensive line should not sleep comfortably. In fact, not just tonight, but like the next two or three nights because that offensive line depth is a problem. And, and this leads me to another point. It's not just the offensive line. I went through and had to do, like a lot of us in, in my line of work, we have to do these uh, 53-man roster predictions. So I did mine. And one of the things that I learned in doing it, I got to tell you, the, the thing that I came away with was the depth on this roster is alarming. The lack of depth is alarming. And, and that's usually been, I think, a, a really strong point for Chris Ballard over the years. Even, even when they, they didn't win a lot necessarily, uh, they had teams that, that had some good players throughout the roster. This team is the opposite. I don't like the depth at all. And if they have a rash of injuries, and it's the NFL, so duh, I think they're going to be in trouble. I really do. I don't like this depth at all, and I think it is it is one of the it, it's one of the more shallow rosters that Chris Ballard has put together. Pretty alarming. Okay, lastly, Stephen, from me, um, and I appreciate the time today. And this is kind of a cliched question, but give me the room, like when players show up on Wednesday for their you know, to watch film as a, as a group at their position, give me the room that the guys, when the door shuts, are going to then say to each other, I can't believe that so-and-so is not in here. I, I thought for certain he was going to make this roster and he's not here, but that shows the depth of this room or the experimentation of the guys at this position. That would be who? Yeah, it was tight end for me because I think that there are five guys worth keeping. Five. And there aren't many teams that would even consider keeping five tight ends on their final roster. Now, I think the Colts can afford to do it because I don't think they've been hit hard by injuries so far, and so they don't have a lot of they, they won't have the need to have a lot of extra bodies, if you will, on the roster. Which means to say, you know, there's a bunch of quote or just for for kicks, just say there was a bunch of um, wide receivers hurt. Well. Now you're keeping a couple extra wide receivers while your bigger, while your better guys get get better or get healthy. They don't really have that problem for the most part, so they have some roster flexibility because of it, and also because, as I just said, it ain't like there's a lot of depth on the team anyway. So I think they can go five deep if they want, but that's not conventional. So look, there are five guys in there who I think easily deserve to make the roster. So it'll be very interesting. So one thing that that's I think Bears watching with that tight end spot. Keep an eye on this. Mo Ali Cox, who is the most known commodity in that room and certainly the, the eldest player in that room with the most experience, he actually has, I think, in terms of potential and upside, he has much less than the rest of the guys in that room. And I think it's a little bit of a problem for him. I'm not saying they're going to cut him, but I, I wonder what his role is going to be this year because at least beyond the blocker because all those other guys in terms of athleticism in terms of pass catching and all that I think they have more upside in those areas and as I said that's a complicating factor for Mo Ali Cox and and I'll just leave you with this Joe excuse me um uh Jim Bob Cooter yesterday the offense coordinator when he was asked about Mo Ali Cox and what he brings he emphasized, he talked for like two minutes and he went on and on about one thing and he said leadership. And I was like, well, I mean, you got to do more than that, right? So that was interesting. Stephen, last thing on my end, if Jonathan Taylor is off the pup, he's active, and let's say he has a moment where he's like, all right, I'm just going to go out there, prove everybody wrong, and I'm going to still play for this team because no one's traded for me. If he has a successful enough season to show that he is worth the money that he wants, are the Colts over this headache, or is it still too valuable a piece to not consider the tag next year if we get to that point? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that is that's the other question, right? It's not just do they keep him; it's then all season long the question is going to be, okay, what now, right? And that's why this doesn't. It, it's not like this headache is going to be over tomorrow. That's one thing I, I think people have to keep in mind here. So anyway, to your question. Obviously, it depends on how it all plays out and, and how does he play, is he healthy, and all those things. If Jonathan Taylor has a Jonathan Taylor-like season and he's healthy, I mean, do you think he's going to be any less inclined to, to want a, a long-term deal? If anything, 
he's going to be more emboldened, and he's going to probably dig in even further, and then this fight potentially gets uglier. So I just I don't think this really gets any easier for anybody, frankly. Uh, I would say this. If you are Jonathan Taylor, I mean, I know what, what the fans have convinced themselves of. Well, they told him they're going to extend him. He's just got to wait. I mean, give me a break, right? I mean, like <laughs> – why do people why do people so readily accept that? I don't understand. Jonathan Taylor has looked around the NFL and said, Okay, Josh Jacobs led the NFL with sixteen hundred yards and they told him to go jump in a lake. And then <laughs> Saquon Barkley had had a comeback year that, that he, no one thought he was capable of and they told him to go jump in a lake. I mean, come on, I man. Like <laughs> As long as the tag's a weapon, it's not changing. Exactly. Like, come on, people. Like I've been getting so much flack for this. Like, oh, you're just you're just being a mouthpiece. Yes, because that's what he thinks, bro. <laughs> like, dude, like people wake up, man. Like, I don't, I'm not saying the Colts are lying. They can have the best of intentions, but they also are not going to do something that's against their best interests. So it is what it is. Jonathan Taylor is not an idiot. By the way, Stephen, isn't there, and I'm not saying this to make light of it at all, uh, since you're getting ready to go to your hometown, uh, I'm assuming to see family, but isn't there like a tropical storm or a hurricane? Is Miami not included yeah. in the path? Yeah, it, it's, it's, on the, it's in the Gulf, so it's supposed to go – uh, further up the Gulf Coast, so yeah, it, it won't be uh, anywhere near the 305 zip code or excuse me area code. So that's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, we as long as it's not as long as your your area is not within that cone of uncertainty, <laughs> we pretty much it's business as usual for us. So yeah, I'm not worried about it. Have you have and you that, ridden out that, a hurricane that, before? Have I? Excuse me, what? Have you ridden out a hurricane before? Oh, many. In fact, in fact. In uh, in a very early part of my journalism career, I was a, I was also a news reporter at times. Um, I was a, a news correspondent for the Associated Press, and I got roped into covering lots of hurricanes for them, including the one time I spent the night on the floor at the National Hurricane Center. That's a true story. Wow. Now... It, Which is me... the best place to be during a hurricane. <laughs> I was going to say, is that because there was a hurricane? But... I don't. I mean, I've always heard it's terrifying. I, like, do you get I, I used to it, Andrew? I, I lived through Andrew. I, I was far enough away that you know our house was largely intact. My wife, who I didn't know at the time, lived much further south in Dade County. They lost their entire house and lived in a trailer for six months. So yeah, that was fun. Um, we've got pictures somewhere at the house at our house currently of it. Um, you can look up and see the sky. Yeah, it was it was it was a load of fun. Yeah. Well, Stephen, I appreciate the time today. Best of luck in not only from a weather standpoint, I guess, but also from the storm of the Colts and being able to get home for the weekend and then make it back. Yeah, I can't escape the hurricanes, right? Wherever I go, they go. <laughs> yes, man. Uh, I right, appreciate guys. it, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. All right, Stephen Holder um, joining us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Inside the DriveHewer.com studios, it's a Monday. College football season is upon us. That means the voice of the Hoosier is Don Fisher. Nice enough to take some time with us. Don, how's the off-season been? You itching to get things back up and running at Memorial Stadium? That I am. There's no question about it. It's going to be exciting just because it's the new football season. And, uh, of course, Indiana starts with Ohio State, which makes it even a little bit more anxiety-ridden, to say the least. But, nevertheless, we're looking forward to it. No question. I hate to go philosophical on you right out of the gate, but that's how Jake and I started the program today. Uh, where do you that's stand? Jake starts every program. <laughs> I, know, I know he does. <laughs> Thanks, I, 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 I know he does. I was, I was informed on that as I teamed up with him last week. Um, <laughs> Um, for you, where do you stand on the marketing of week zero? Do you, do you treat it as just week one like any everybody else in terms of how the games shape up or any news no, there for you? Until last year, I didn't even know what week zero meant. I thought it was a Coke product or something. <laughs> See, Don's been my hero for 40 years and no more so than right then. Thank you, Don. Yes, that is exactly correct. Um, no, I, I know week zero means that whatever that means, I mean, it's a it's a bogus meaning because there is no such thing as zero if there's a game going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
It counts on the record. It's not a preseason matchup or an exhibition. I'd, I'd like for you to record that clip and replay it for yourself, Jimmy, next time we have this discussion, okay. because that's exactly correct. I'll save it in 2024. Sounds good. Hey, Don, what do we know about, you know, this is an intriguing game for me with Indiana and Ohio State, because obviously we know Ohio State speaks for itself, right? But, right. you know, for Indiana, especially when I do think I'm really intrigued at the quarterback position, I think a lot of people are. But do you think Tom Allen has a real read on what kind of team he has at the, or or does it all come down to the quarterback position and they just aren't going to know for a few weeks exactly who and where they are? Does that make sense? I, I there's no question it makes sense because I don't know that anybody knows where they are right now. This is a team that has so many new faces on it. Um, I mean, I counted up 23 or 24 players out of the transfer portal who were in the team's top 50 this year. Think about that. I mean, these are all guys that are going to play. So when you've got that young a team, a ball club that is that unknown, especially from a Big Ten perspective, uh, there is nothing but questions. And I, I think Tom is – I think he's excited about what he's seen in practice – I think fall practices have proven that some of these guys are maybe better than a lot of people might think, but we'll have to wait and see on that. But the real question mark with this football team going into the season, number one, is who's going to be the quarterback, even though they've said they know who it's going to be now, but it's taken up until the week before the season starts to make that determination. And then number two, uh, with all these new faces, how is that all going to come together as part of a team? Because let's face it, uh, that chemistry and all those kinds of things are going to be very important. By all accounts, Don, Jackson and Soresby both, regardless of who's under center, what, what's being shared from setup of camp and just the lead up to week one has been they're both extremely talented. How much of this multi-quarterback conversation is PTSD for the fact that it's been since Peyton Ramsey in 2018 that a Hoosier quarterback has started the entire season? Well, uh, there's no question that there's there's a I mean that is the question. What what what's going to happen with the quarterback position? Will it be two guys sharing the position through the year? Will it be just one guy getting most of the snaps until he gets hurt and the other guy has to step up because let's face it, if you're a freshman and 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 I've granted both these guys have been in college football for a year prior to this, but they were red shirts. They were guys that weren't expected to play much and neither did. Uh, Soresby basically, I think, two series in the Penn State game when he was shoved into the position because of an injury to Jack Tuttle, and and uh, then uh, and and Taven was uh, used to Tennessee very sparingly as well. I think he was in maybe a couple of ball games, but not enough snaps to get any kind of an idea about what these guys are capable of when they're under fire for the real thing. And right now, whether it's uh, Taven Jackson or Brendan Soresby who gets the start. Um, we, I just don't know, and I don't think the coaching staff really knows at this juncture how they're going to play this thing. I think you've got to play it by ear and just determine if one guy looks looks really good at what he's doing and utilize him. And you know, through all the camp processes, through the scrimmages and everything that they've they've done in the fall, one week or one week it would be the uh, Brendan, next week it would be Taven, and they went back and forth all the time through the preseason camp. So. I don't know how you make that determination at this juncture uh, unless it's on something other than just the skill of the game. Don Don Fisher, by the way, is our guest here. Indiana, to me, is also intriguing for this fact. Like, I'll use E.J. Williams as an example. You know, you mentioned the transfer portal. E.J. Williams was a five-star kid. I, you know, I'm a Clemson fan, so I watched him at Clemson. And he came in, and you could see why he was an, a, a national, you know, top fifty recruit, whatever it might be. And he kind of got buried a little bit at Clemson, and just never really got footing there. And now he transfers to Indiana. Clearly, the talent and the size is there. But, and I understand why Indiana. If you're Indiana, you're going to take the best players available. I, I totally get it. But yet, you kind of never know what you're going to get. It, so, is it when you look at this team? Is this as mystifying, I guess, an identity of a roster as you have seen. And this is probably the case down everywhere because of the portal. I mean, how much more of a curveball does this give even you or those around the program of knowing who and what they are at this point versus years past? Well, that's exactly the whole thing about the portal. If you've gotten as many players out of the portal as Indiana did this past year, 
how can you determine whether or not it's all going to all going to coalesce and it's all going to be together and it's in they are all on the same on the same scorecard right. so to speak i mean it's it's going to be a challenge and and that's what has happened with the transfer portal and nil i've said this many times uh, i those two com- that combination of things uh, makes these college players free agents and uh, yeah you're not supposed to tamper with somebody else's player but let's face facts here there's a lot of people doing it. And when they put themselves in the transfer portal, was it their idea or was it somebody behind the scenes idea? And we'll just have to wait and see on how that stuff plays out and if you ever really find out. But the, the truth of the matter is there's no way to judge this right now. Have I seen a difference in this Indiana football team over last year? No question in my mind. I think it looks like it's a better football team. How long that lasts all depends on whether they have success or not. And obviously they're going to start out with a really big challenge in the first game. You know, Don, so much of – when you're talking about young players, and college athletes are young players. I mean, that's the reality of it. I I think so much of it can become psychological. And Indiana – the Big Ten is – the Big Ten is always tough. We know this, right? But there have been years where Indiana, from a scheduling standpoint, once you start to, to backpedal a little bit, you go into the, to the meat of the Big Ten. It can be rough, and, and and I think you then challenge you're challenged by guys just kind of throwing it in at that point. This schedule to me this year, I'm not going to say it's favorable because I know the Big Ten is good, but you're not getting that mix where you're going like four games in a row against top twelve teams like we've seen in the past. Do you agree with that sentiment in terms of the schedule offering a little bit of reprieve at times when Indiana might most need it while they're trying to figure out who they are? Well, I, I'm looking at it as we speak, Jake, and, and honestly, the first four ball games you've got Ohio State, Indiana State, Louisville, and Akron. Indiana should win two of those for sure. Ohio State, Louisville, really question marks. Louisville's a good football program, and they were good last year, and now you've got Jeff Robb down there who's had some success against Indiana at Purdue, uh, and he knows what Indiana's going to do for the most part. So that's, that's, that's not in your favor. And then after Akron, you've got Maryland, who's one of the really up-and-coming teams over the last couple of years in the Big Ten. They've gotten much tougher, much more talented. Uh, Michigan's right after them. And they're both on the road. And then you play home to Rutgers. You should win that ball game. But Rutgers has had Indiana's number and other all kinds of sports here lately, as we know in basketball. Uh, Penn State after that. Then Wisconsin. Then Illinois. And then Michigan State and Purdue. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I don't see any real breather there uh, once you get into the Big Ten you know, season. Yeah, the Big Ten, I mean, it's, it's interesting, Don, because Illinois and Michigan State are two of them that – I think Illinois improved for certain, right? I, I think no he can question. coach. And Michigan State's kind of a curveball because Michigan State to me is that team that like every year Michigan State's either – it seems like they are either like in contention for the college football playoff or they are like 2-10 and 10 and you wonder what the heck happened to them, right? Michigan State yeah. is definitely enigmatic to me. Well, Indiana, uh, Indiana beat Michigan State last year after the year before getting clobbered by the Spartans. So how do you know? I mean – it is so hard to judge college football. Those people who gamble on it, they're nuts. I just think they're crazy. one 800 with it by the way. <laughs> I mean, I, there's just no way to predict this stuff unless you are uh, a program like Indiana and a program like Ohio State, and then you have an idea. That's about all you could say about it. Because anymore, anybody can beat anybody on a given Saturday, and we'll see if that happens this year for an Indiana now, team that needs one of those. Don, I'm telling you, I said this earlier, okay, and I realized that as the voice of the Hoosiers, it's not your place, and I wouldn't put you in the, in the place to agree or disagree with me here, but I'm telling you right now, you can mark this down, Don Fisher, as sure as the fact that today is Monday and it's gorgeous outside. Indiana is going to send the college football world upside down on October 14th when Michigan is upset by Indiana in the big house. Indiana's going to shock the world. That is the game they're going to win. I'm telling you right now, Indiana's going to beat Michigan this year. How much money do you have in your pocket, Jake? <laughs> I got, uh, I got asking. rabbit ears out of the pocket. I don't carry cash, Don. Come on now. I'm telling you. I, but, but here's the thing. 
I don't know what – I'm being obviously a little bit flippant, not as a discredit to Indiana, but Michigan's outstanding. We know this. But that is one team, and I know that, that over the course of games, the depth of an Ohio State or a Michigan, that's where the difference comes in, right? They hang around for a, a couple of quarters, and then they start to pull away from teams because of their overall depth. But right. I just get this feeling that it, Indiana has played Michigan competitively – not every year, but I'm telling you, that is the game that, that Indiana's year is made in Ann Arbor on October 14th. I'm just telling you now, Don. I'll, I'm going to write it down, Jake. <laughs> and I hope you're right. Now, That's all I'm going to say. Here's the thing. Now, now here's the, my only We've prediction. We've the audio as well, by the way. It's ready. We've got it in the archive. When it happens, Don, the only thing I ask when it happens is that at some point as the clock's ticking down, doesn't have to be the signature call. <laughs> Doesn't have to be the signature call, but late in the game when you say, Jake Query called this in September, Indiana and this football team of Tom Allen is on its way to knocking off the Wolverines. Well, first of all, I would not be correct if I said this was in September when you predicted it. Cause oh, uh, that's right. It's August, isn't it? Darn it. <laughs> Don, I gotta pick up where I, Jake, I got to pick up my op- observations from you when I get a chance to that are wrong, and that's one that was wrong right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, I, I keep thinking it's September, darn it. I, and, and you know what, Don, tomorrow is my girlfriend Shannon's birthday, and so I have to remember that it is still <laughs> late August here. I mean, good Lord. It's a lot on the line, man. Don, thank God I had that Freudian slip right there about September, or I might have forgotten that altogether, and you just completely saved me right there. So you don't owe me the favor of giving me credit against Michigan because you just absolutely saved me. Thank you. I'll call Shannon and let her know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Out of hot water, baby. Don, the struggles have been well documented the last couple of years for the Hoosiers, and it feels like what I've been hoping outside of the you know quarterback stability and the offensive line taking a leap forward, which it appears that might happen this year, is them getting back to that type of bite-like identity they had defensively. How, how much of an improvement are we going to see this year from the 2023 Hoosiers defensively? And will they be anywhere close to what we saw at times in their runs to bowl games in 19 and 20? Well, in 20, that defense was one of the critical factors as why they were able to get the 6-2 and two season that they had and knock off Michigan and Wisconsin and Penn State in the same year, which was a phenomenal accomplishment, despite the fact that all three of those teams that Indiana beat that year were hurting a little bit because of COVID and some of the other things that were going on at the time. That said, um, right now, Indiana football – is at a precipice, in my opinion. It's got to start making a turnaround this year. There's no question about that. Tom Allen knows it. The the, the entire fan base knows it. Uh, right at this juncture, you, you can't afford to have missteps. And th- the problem is is that you can have a lot of them if you've got freshman quarterbacks and and redshirt freshman quarterbacks. And, and that's what Indiana has. And they've got a bunch of new faces there that if things start going badly early, that can really, really hurt. So I, I it, to predict anything out of this season at this juncture, to say anything uh, on a true positive basis and really believe it, I, I'd be lying to you if I said anything like that. Because honestly, there's no way to know what we're going to face at this juncture. It's just fun to think about if they can have some success and become the kind of football program that Indiana fans want to see. So, Don, flippancy aside for me, when you have looked at this team and this group, the one area that you feel like they probably do have the most, I guess, talent or depth or the one thing that is going to be a certainty about what they're going to be able or try to be able to do this year in their style would be what area of the field? If there's one one thing that I've seen a, an improvement in, and I and I say this based on the fact that I'm just looking at what the coaches are telling me, and and things that they have not been able to accomplish in the last couple of years, I would say it's the defensive line, because they have a bunch of faces there that essentially are new, but all of these guys have had success where they've been previously, and Andre Carter is a kid from Western Michigan who's a sixth year player. He comes to Indiana at 6'5", 270 pounds, a defensive end. 
He has been a man out there in fall practice sessions. And another guy named Linnell Carr has also made himself himself known as the bull, which means the stand-up guy at the other defensive end spot that goes after quarterbacks. And he has made a real impact and an impression on the coaches as well. And then they've got inside guys this year, Philip uh, Bleedy and Marcus Burris Jr., also two transfer port, uh, portal products. So you've got four guys that could possibly line up at the defensive in the defensive line that are brand new to this program, but all seem to have the right mindset and the credentials to be something special if Indiana's going to have something special on the defensive side of the ball. You know, it's going to be awkward when Indiana beats Michigan, Jimmy, on October 14th, and I tell everybody it's November, right? Like, I'm so excited about the game, I can't even keep the calendar straight. Good Lord. Hey, Don, will, we appreciate it. Trust me, I will call Shannon and let her know I saved your relationship. <laughs> that is correct, man. I, trust me. I, I appreciate it, Don, more than you know, right? Uh, Indiana and Ohio State coming up 3.30, by the way. That game, you can hear it right here on these airwaves, obviously. Uh, Jimmy is telling me. IBC. Or or Eddie, what's that? WIBC. Oh, all the games are on WIBC, Mm -hmm. aren't they? Well, Sister station, WIBC. Yeah, I was going to say our sister station. But Don Fish will be on the call. That game uh, coming up on Saturday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Two o'clock in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's two o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison flying the controls and has dialed up for us from... The Anderson Herald Bulletin. George Bremer joins us on the program. And, of course, George keeping a watchful eye over all things involving the Indianapolis Colts. That's one of my least favorite phrases. I'm surprised I just said it. But um, he has been doing so since 2010. So entering what I believe, if my math is correct, would be his 14th season as a beat writer for the Colts. And, George, we'll begin with this. I'm going to throw the table to you by saying... I'm not going to ask you immediately about Jonathan Taylor, so we'll go to other areas. And those other areas would be this. If you had to guess, the area that right now Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen are having the most in-depth conversations about regarding cuts that will have to take place before 4 o'clock tomorrow would be where that is the most difficult for them. I think tight end. I mean, I think you've just got so many bodies there. Um, It's one of the few spots with quite a bit of experience from some of those guys. Uh, they all kind of bring a little bit of a different uh, skill set to the table. You've got a rookie involved in there as well with, with Will Mallory. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough one to kind of figure out because can you keep five? If you do, you know, are you hurting yourself elsewhere? If you don't keep five, who are you letting go? I, I feel like that one's a, a really, really difficult decision for them right now. Yeah, the other thing about tight end to me is the fact that George – it feels like they're going to be safe whichever one they decide to go with. In other words, I think they, to your point, they are five guys that all, I don't know that any of them jumps out at you and you say, wow, like this guy is a game changer. But at the same time, the floor of that room is also, I think, pretty high, right? I mean, whichever one you decide is the, is the least, you're going to be, if you cut a tight end, you are going to be cut cutting a really good player, in my opinion. Um, but I don't know that there's anybody there that absolutely jumps out where you say that is lock, stock, and barrel, the definitive starter. Would you agree? Yeah, it's, it makes it such an interesting position right now because I think the depth chart's hard to kind of stack up. And then they've had injuries there. I mean, a lot of those guys have been in and out throughout the summer. So uh, I think it's a really tough one to evaluate right now. George Bremer, our guest, covers the Colts for the Herald Bulletin. George, you had a piece yesterday from your Colts notebook column about the state of where the roster's at right now and Dallas Flowers a year ago feeling like he would would make the 53-man but wasn't certain about that. And now the opportunity that's in front of him as, as a starter, like we started this year, talks about how fast things can happen within this league. As you look at the roster from your perspective, who is the next Dallas Flowers in terms of maybe this guy isn't 100% certain he's going to make the roster, but you think he will and is going to have an opportunity to really shine? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, maybe maybe a guy like Grant Stewart. I mean, I know that he's been a, a special teams guy for them, uh, you know, since he got here. And he, I think he is definitely going to make the roster. I don't think there's much doubt 
for him there. But I, I wonder if he's going to get a little more play in the defense this year. The linebacker is a little bit more shaken up than it has been recently. Uh, I think he's done a good job for them when, when he's gotten that shot. Maybe he's a guy who can get an opportunity. Uh, I think obviously Daryl Baker is, is really well set up. Uh, very similar to Dallas Flowers, but he's kind of doing it on an accelerated uh, pace where he really just got a a very brief look at the end of the year last year, uh, but he's going to start. I think he's got a chance to really take off. Uh, Other than that, I think probably the one thing uh, that's good about the situation the, the, the Colts have right now, if you're a young guy, there should be a lot of opportunities this year for guys uh, who don't have much experience or very little experience in the NFL to get out there in key situations. And, and you know, that's what every player says that's what they want. I mean, that's what you hear this time of year all the time. Just give me an opportunity. Uh, there should be plenty of that in Indianapolis this season. George, when you look at Anthony Richardson, and in particular what Anthony Richardson was able to do against Philly, which I was impressed by him, um, not necessarily – I was impressed by his poise – and then there were times where I didn't know if he was taking off and running out of necessity or by design. How much do you think Shane Steichen will incorporate, like he did with Jalen Hurts probably, the running game with Richardson? And how much of what we have seen so far was by design versus a rookie quarterback just getting out while the heat was there? I, You know, it's hard to say how it's going to go moving forward just because uh, that's one of the big advantages they have. No one really knows for sure what Shane Sykes is going to do with this offense or, or how it's all going to work in. But you go back and look at his Florida tape, there were times where you almost want him to run a little more. He stays in the pocket maybe a little bit longer than he should. Uh, so I'm guessing a lot of that right now is by design. I would think that Shane Sykes is going to want to take advantage of that part of his game. I think it's one of the reasons you feel comfortable starting him so early in his career. You know that he can run the football, and you know he can make big plays. And we've seen it both in the Buffalo game and uh, against Philly. He had big runs called back by penalties, but big runs in in big situations. One to convert, what, I think a third and 15, another one that would have got him down to like the five-yard line. So, you know, I think especially if Jonathan Taylor's not on this roster, he might be your most dangerous threat you know in the ground game and the the key there is balancing it because this franchise better than probably anyone knows you know you've got to protect that quarterback you can't let him get beat up uh, but they've got to find a balance to okay this is the right number where he can stay relatively safe as safe as you can be on an NFL field uh, but also still take advantage of, of what's really a game-breaking ability you mentioned protecting the quarterback a lot of stress behind the idea of how quarterbacks have been protected in this offense the last two years when you look at the offensive line going into week one both from a starter standpoint and a depth standpoint where should the feeling be uh, it's not great right now I, I think the starters have taken some steps forward I, I think especially against Philadelphia you saw some good things uh, getting some short yardage gains finishing some drives in the red zone things they didn't do against Buffalo that, that I think they needed to show uh, but that depth was a concern to begin with, and now you lose Danny Penner, who's your backup center. Uh, it's a really thin group right now, and we know attrition in this league. We've seen it year after year. You know how many offensive linemen you end up having to rotate through. I think that's really something that they're going to be watching on the waiver wire. We'll see how it turns out, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's multiple uh, additions uh, to that offensive line depth right now because it, it's just it's a real area of concern. Does that now jump to top priority in your mind? You mentioned waiver claims. I'm not going to ask you to project what they might do when we don't know all the players that are going to be available, but does that now jump to top need with their fourth spot in the waiver wire? Yeah, in my mind, especially with a pinner injury, I think it's a really, uh, you know, it's a huge hole right now on the roster. It was thin before Pinner went down, but now I don't know that you've got another player on the roster right now who's taken a snap in a regular season game at center outside of Ryan Kelly, and Ryan Kelly's banged up. So, you know, I think you absolutely have to add a backup center, and I think you probably would like to add a swing tackle. Uh, and maybe even some more interior line depth. So there's definitely work to be done there. When you look, George, at, you know, assuming that we have a general idea of what the roster is going to look like, are you more optimistic, less optimistic, or about the same in terms of their level of competitiveness this year than you were when they arrived at Grand Park? 
Uh, probably about the same, just because I think it, from from my point of view, it was always going to be a year where they're really young. I mean, you could see that coming in. They, and they're going to give a lot of young guys chances. And when you do that, you're going to take your lumps. You know, there's going to be good and bad that, that comes with that. I think it's always been kind of an evaluation season. You know, you want to see what you've got. Especially, you look at that cornerback situation. They're probably going to rotate guys through there throughout the season. Which of these guys steps up? Which one shows you that he needs to be here and needs to be a part, a cornerstone of this team? The quarterback, obviously, is extremely young. The running back room could be pretty young. Receivers are still really young. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a year where there's a lot of learning going on in real time. Uh, I felt that way before training camp. I think it just kind of confirmed and, and reaffirmed that for me, what, what's happened you know, past month, month and a half or so here. George, if you're driving – Let's say you're driving to Anderson after a Colts game. Thirsty, so you stop at a gas station, you walk in, you're going to get yourself a beverage. What are, what are you getting? What are you buying? Probably Mountain Dew Zero. That's usually my go-to, okay. especially if I need to stay awake. So you so you open the Mountain Dew Zero, and you're stunned when instead of Mountain Dew Zero, a genie comes out of the bottle. And the genie says to you, George Bremer, you've been covering the Colts since 2010. You know what's going on. And I'm a genie, so I'm going to do the following deal for you. You're going to write down on a sheet of paper the answer to a question. We're going to open that sheet of paper on December 1st. And if you have it correct, I'm going to give you a million bucks. You go, hell yeah, that's a great deal. So the question is, he says, December 1st, you have to write down the team in the NFL that Jonathan Taylor is playing for. You don't have to get the exact team if it's not the Colts, but you got to write down either Colts active, Colts inactive and on IR or has been traded to a different team what are you writing down I'm going with the field here I think I would say a different team really so you think now better question Jimmy raised this earlier and it's a great point the Colts have created or said there's a deadline you know like for them to get a trade done do you believe that that exists or if somebody makes an unbelievable offer for them after the fact could he still be moved or does it happen tomorrow I think it, you know, right now, I think it happens tomorrow, but I also, there are very few true deadlines in the NFL. You know, I I think at any time, if if you're willing to do something uh, that helps your team and and can help the opponent, uh, things happen, right? I mean, people, I I think always in this league, uh, teams are always looking to to add, you know, and who knows what's going to happen once season starts. If, If there's injuries, and somebody goes down, if, if there's no trade tomorrow, uh, but somebody who's in contention loses a running back, they may all of a sudden have a lot more interest than they did. But right now, uh, I just feel like a divorce is on the way. We'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. Um, but my gut feeling is that Jonathan Taylor will be playing elsewhere this season. Okay, so Andy and Kevin are on from 7 to 10 in the morning tomorrow. Then from 12 to 3, I'm on tomorrow. Jimmy, you are off and James Boyd's in, is that right? Yeah, I'll be back behind the board okay, and James so, Boyd's back in there with you. So, so I'll be in the building. So we're, Jimmy and I are in here with James from 12 to 3 tomorrow and then John's on from 3 to 6. If you had to guess which of us is on the air if Jonathan Taylor's traded when the news breaks? I think John. I think it's going to be late. I think yeah. it's going to be close to the deadline. One of the real deadlines, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, that's one of the few real deadlines <laughs> that, that happened in the NFL. So there aren't many. So we're going to be tap dancing, talking about Jonathan Taylor tomorrow from twelve. No, uh, I, I. It will be interesting. I agree with you that probably would be if if he's going to be moved, it's going to be like as part of the roster formation, right? Which one would assume that all gets kind of released in one news dump? I, I, I would think tomorrow usually. Um, but four o'clock tomorrow trade deadline. I asked. Stephen, this earlier, I'll ask you the same question, George. Uh, give me three guys. Three guys tonight, knowing that the tomorrow by 4 o'clock is when the roster is set. Now, that's not necessarily saying that it's definitive because there are guys that could make the roster and then once, of course, the waiver wires come out, the Colts make a few tweaks you know, towards the bottom of the roster. But in your opinion, the three guys tonight that you would anticipate are probably having the most sleepless nights tonight because they just don't know whether or not they're going to be called in with their playbook tomorrow would be who? Yeah, man, there's a lot on that roster because I think there it's it's a really – I think there's a lot of the back end that, that, that's really wide open. Um, 
You know, I look at a guy like Jawan Winfrey. I wonder if he's going to be that fifth receiver. I think he's done a lot out there uh, in preseason and in camp to, to earn a spot. Uh, but you never know if they're going to want somebody with more experience or, you know, he could be one of those guys that makes it Tuesday and then finds out on Wednesday that, that they're moving on. I think Titus Leo is another guy, defensive end, where the numbers might get him. Uh, but has had an outstanding preseason, and especially for a late sixth-round pick. I think he's a guy that could really look good. Uh, and then maybe Sam Ellinger. You know, you don't know what they're going to do with that third quarterback spot. They kept him last year. Um, you know, are they going to bring him back again? Or do they want to find, you know, is that where you get the fifth tight end? Uh, you never know how many quarterbacks are going to be. Uh, and Sam, you know, he's a guy that's, that's been a survivor so far during his career. be interesting to see how things go for him with, with this cut down as well. George Bremer with us, covers the Colts, beat writer for the Herald Bulletin. Jake brought this up earlier, and I want to get your take on it, George. If we would have told you however many weeks ago when Kenyon Drake was signed at that moment that, yeah, this guy's actually going to be cut, would you have been surprised? No. I, you know, he was coming in kind of at the, the tail end of his career. So, you know, I think it was let's see what he's got and let's see, you know, if he can earn a spot here. Uh, but I think – it just wasn't there, and and that happens. You know, I think running backs get beat up. It's probably outside of offensive line, defensive line, the most brutal position on the field. So, uh, you know, I think it, it's tough for these guys, and, and I think you saw that with Kenyon a little bit while in his time here. How much of that had to do with Evan Hole's play in the preseason? Yeah, that doesn't help either. When you've got a younger guy out there who's, who's going out and getting the job done consistently and also appears to be indestructible. I probably just drink, jinxed him, but <laughs> he took some hard hits out there in training camp and just bounced back up every time. So uh, that definitely factors in. Listen, I, as long as Kevin Bowen's not calling him indestructible, <laughs> we're safe, right? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Kevin, I knocked on wood for you, George. Though. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, but George again, that that go to me, and I'm not by any stretch. Listen, there is the position and the 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 organization that signed their most recent paycheck would be probably the only two things that, that one would confuse Kenyon Drake and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I get it, right? But the fact that you can go out, take a flyer on a veteran running back that has over 3,000 yards rushing in his career or whatever it might be, give him a look, and then decide, yeah, you know what, we're pretty comfortable with this room, and then move along and just end of experiment. But to me, it shows how fungible that position can be. And that's why I just feel like with Jonathan Taylor – you have to be very careful as to how much you are investing in it. And in particular, because if you get to a certain point where you are then financially investing a percentage of your cap, you're doing so with a player that you don't want to actually be taking away reps or focus from what you are really trying to do, which is simply develop your quarterback. And I get that a running back as a weapon is there to help. the. I get all that. But I just feel, George, and I don't know that you and I have talked about this. I've talked about it with other people, but I want your opinion on it. I just feel like the biggest detriment for Jonathan Taylor and trying to get paid has nothing to do with Jonathan Taylor, but rather being the unfortunate circumstance of now everything has focused to the development of Anthony Richardson and the running back just is not important in that regard. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with it. I mean, everything in this building right now is about number five. Uh, and it will be for the foreseeable future, uh, trying to get him where he needs to be and, and do everything you can in your power. Certainly there's an argument that having Jonathan Taylor back there with him helps on the field, uh, but the market for running backs is terrible right now. I mean, you just look around. Nobody signed a long-term deal this offseason. The two guys who got franchise tagged end up signing for just a little bit more than a franchise tag on one-year deals. Uh, the free agents that were out there signed one-year deals that were heavily incentivated. Like you talked about with Kenyon Drake, I and mean, he shows where the running back position is right now. You don't do that at, at many other positions where you bring in a guy who has a legitimate resume in the league, and it's just a flyer, and you're just going to see how it works out, and it's okay if, if he walks away. Uh, but that's you know that's state of the running back position right now. And when you add that into the the priorities within the building in Indianapolis right now, yeah, it's not a good mix. George, whenever I'm looking at different situations, whether it's my daily life or if it is a sports talk topic that we're discussing about, I like to try to look at it with every different scenario in mind. Is there a legitimacy to the idea that he might still be on PUP after tomorrow? And if there is, 
How does that change everything in your mind? We asked Kevin Bowen this on Friday, and he had said like he, he's not giving as much consideration to the idea that he would still be on PUP just because of like where this whole thing is at. And that would be a kind of a bombshell if he is, if it's a legitimate injury and he's going to miss the first four games of the season. How does this turn if he still is on PUP after tomorrow's deadline? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I don't discount anything. I mean, I've been around this team the last couple of years. I, I definitely don't discount any possibility. I think anything can and, and usually will happen around this franchise. So, I mean, I, I saw a quarterback retire in a third quarter of a preseason game. So a running back saying on pup doesn't seem to be quite as shocking an outcome to me. Uh, but I do think it, it, it changes a lot of the math for him. You know, the team, I don't know, maybe they're already moving on or maybe they're already looking at Zach Moss or Deion Jackson as being the guy week one. Because honestly, even if, he, even if he's here and he's activated tomorrow, is there enough time? He hasn't done anything on a football field since December. Is there enough time to get him ready to start September 10th against Jacksonville? I don't know. You know, and so if he's on pup, I don't know how much it changes the team's plan going forward. But for him, that means you're out four games. If you're hoping that, that the deadline that the Colts gave is, is a fake one, the real trade deadline is in October. You know, you're cutting half of that time off that you won't even be on the field. I, it's tough, I think, from his standpoint. If he's still here, I think for a lot of reasons, it's in his best interest to be on the active roster. You know, George, I'm always curious about this. If you're doing a, like, we're doing a radio show in Indianapolis, we're talking about the Colts. If you had to say, George, what, what NFL franchise, I've asked this before to people, but what NFL franchise would you say here in Indianapolis, just when you're talking to other writers, when you're listening to sports radio, whatever it might be, what franchise do we talk or hear the least about in the NFL? Maybe the Cardinals. I was going to say probably Arizona, right? Yeah. And, you know, Kyler Murray was an exciting young player. And, you know, there, there was, and, and of course, you had the, the drama with Hopkins, who, who now is gone. But so that said, do you get the feeling that the Colts were trending in the direction and maybe even are still the Arizona Cardinals of other markets? Like, absolutely. Are, are, are sports talk guys in you know, in Oakland that are talking about the NFL ever talking about the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it's weird because it went from being an epicenter franchise and that's got to drive Jim Mercer crazy, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think there's two things that, that get talked about outside of Indy right now. Jonathan Taylor, obviously, and that's the dominant one, and Anthony Richardson. And other than that, you know, I don't know that anything else is a blip on the radar right now. Probably Jim Mersey gets discussed too, right? I mean, yeah, it, like if you're doing a sports talk show in Oakland, aren't you like, okay, taking a look around the NFL, and you got the AFC South. Trevor Lawrence is a good player. Houston and Tennessee, I don't know anything about them. And the Colts have John Mellencamp playing, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty much it, right? You're like, <laughs> but, but the Colts are also there. But Richardson, yeah, exactly. Richardson, I, I would think. I do think there's going to be a lot of intrigue about him after the first month of the year because I think he's going to show flashes, George. But at the same time, you know, I think he's going to show more flashes than even Justin Fields did early in his career. Like I think he just has, but the touch is the big thing, right? I mean, how much is yep. how much your team's going to force him to throw? Because at this point, that's a big question mark. I think buckle up. It's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster. But, you know, one thing I think about him that, that doesn't get talked about as much as, as maybe it should, he's extremely mature for a 21-year-old. And I think that helps a lot here. When they talk about his poise in the pocket and, you know, how calm he is out there running the team, a lot of that comes from this is, this is a guy who kind of had to raise his younger brother. He's been through a lot, you know, and I think it shows. I think he's he is a very old soul uh, for a rookie. And, and I think that – at this position, that that could be good. Man, he does. I'm telling you, his pocket presence is impressive. I mean, I, I you know, it's 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 interesting, George. I, I mentioned it last week. I, Manning early in his career. I mean, people knocked all the time. You know, the happy feet and all of that. That was probably the last thing to come to Manning. Was just I think he had it, but the 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 optics of pocket presence with Peyton Manning was late to develop, and that is one thing that I think Richardson shows already is just that feel you know like earlier I, Todd Meyer came in here to get on me because he said Jake you don't have a clock in your head you got to rely on Eddie Garrison for the clock when you're doing radio uh, Anthony Richardson appears to have a clock in his head he does 
It's funny because we talk about inexperience. He doesn't look like a guy with just 13 starts when he's back there. In the totally. Box. I'll say that. He looks extremely advanced in that area. And that's why when I look at him on the whole, when you look at his obvious athletic skill, no one's going to question his ability. When you look at his work ethic, his intelligence, his maturity, I think it's more likely than not that he's going to work out. I mean, it just seems like a guy with that kind of makeup – it's hard to imagine him not eventually working out, but it's going to be a roller coaster along the way. If Zach Moss is medically cleared for week one, is he the lion's share owner of these carries if they go by committee in your mind? I think so, and it's a big if. You know, we'll see where he's at. I know they're hopeful that they'll be able to get him to go, and but I think that's the way things were, were setting up before the broken arm. And you know, he finished the year last year pretty well. He probably deserves that role. HaroldBolton.com is where you can read George's work, and it's going to be a busy next 24 hours for him in terms of all of the news with the Colts, including keeping an eye on the Jonathan Taylor situation. George, pleasure as always. Look forward to talking to you again, all right? No problem. Thanks a lot, guys.